0: On WCVN got the Yankees Phillies on Wednesday night but first DSR Tuesdays and Thursdays 515 to 530 Friday night game of the week volleyball on Friday as well Saturday perhaps football stay tuned on the blog mazeandblog.blogspot.com, for all your radio news for everyone in the studio I'm Jeremy saying so long and good night from Ann Arbor <laughs>
1: You are listening to your home for Michigan
0: Athletics, 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Located from the web at WCBN.org. 15 seconds remain.
1: Hunwick has it. Forward to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot. Save there, and the rebound comes to Hunwick. Six minutes remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead.
0: This is war to extermination. Fight cell by cell through bodies and mind screens of the earth. Souls rotten from the orgasm drug, flesh shuddering from the ovens, prisoners of the earth, come out, storm the studio. Burnt metal smell of interplanetary war in the raw noon streets, swept by screaming glass blizzards of enemy flak. Shift, linguals, free doorways, cut, word lines, photo falling, word falling, breakthrough in gray room, towers open, fire.
1: Citizen, you are listening to WCBN-FM in Ann Arbor.
0: Tilt, blast, pound, stab, strap, kill. Pilot K-9, you are cut off, back, return to base immediately. Right, music beam, back to base. Stay out of that time, Flack. All pilots, pan panpipes, back to base.
2: Back to base. Well, you are on home plate here with Gray Matters. Welcome to another edition of the uh, news uh, weekly media talk show. I'm Dick Whaley,
1: and I'm Jim Dwyer,
2: fumbling the beginning of the show. Sort of like the football team the other day. But we, w- we don't need to talk about them very briefly in the World Series. Uh, I think it, this is going to be one of, the, one of the great ones. Um, I think if Philly wins one of the first two games, they win. So I'm going to predict Philly in seven. All-stars all over the field. Uh, Philly's uh, playing well. Whole team seems to be hitting, and they've got those tough lefties that you definitely want to throw at the Yankees. Is this a little bit later than usual yeah. for the World Series? It
1: seems... Uh,
2: Reggie Jackson used to be known as Mr. October. Now we're going to dub somebody Mr. November. Yeah, it's
1: going to push November, <laughs> I think. Seven games for sure will yeah. that far. It starts it Wednesday
2: night, so it will definitely go into November. And, of course, probably the key games will be in November. Yeah. Usually there is a split uh, in the first two games if uh, the teams are uh, well-matched, and these teams are. Anyway... Uh,
0: I don't like spam.
2: Been watching a little bit too much Monty Python this week, busy with the uh, reunion stuff over the weekend with the Penn State, uh, all kinds of horrible rainy weather, but uh, enjoy the next couple of days.
1: Well, indeed, yeah, it's very nice out right now. And, uh, of course, last week we talked a little bit about the sort of midterm study break that the U of M students uh, were Able to hopefully take advantage of, um, and sometimes the seasonal depression and these sorts of things that come along, uh, and I suggested go out and take a walk. Yes. But uh, good thing to remember that, uh, you know, a week from today will be on uh, Daylight Savings Time. Mm hmm That's going to take effect uh, this coming Saturday night, so it will be darker earlier, and of course you can still go out and get those walks, which are good ideas, but... uh, Also a good time to get a lot of reading done. And uh, I always try to recommend people that when it does get darker, you know, go to bed earlier. Save a little uh, heating cost, uh, read a book, and uh, can't go wrong. Yeah, if you get into bed with your (coughs) Snuggie, (laughs) get yourself all set, get a book, and just go to bed.
2: You can definitely read a book, and we recommend books rather than Kindles, or at least I do.
1: Uh well that's for sure. Actually there's a the cover story on the latest uh Harper's is the Twilight of the American Newspaper. We've already seen the payphone go into extinction virtually. Uh virtually yeah, there's a maybe a small handful still available in town if you know about them. But uh, of course you watch old movies and people have the make the convenient step into the phone booth. Um the typewriters long gone, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, Um, where does Superman change his clothes? Inside a cell phone. He (laughs) texts himself a new message. Um, But speaking of things like texting, um, very interesting and and somewhat somber. A a lot of people, obviously, uh, the demise of the American newspaper is a sort of a watershed moment in cultural history. Uh, The newspaper has been such an important daily feature of of life in uh, a democratic society that, uh, you know, it raises questions about uh, what the future may hold. Well, interesting uh, to note that postal services are also in serious decline. Mm -hmm. And in England, of course, they're on the edge of, or maybe they voted to uh, go on strike. uh, The Royal Mail uh, feeling the economic pull and, of course, these places employ a lot of people. Seventy um, percent of their costs are typically personnel, sorters, and so forth. Um, just briefly on the American Postal Service, uh, we all know where the economy's at, basically. Um, the U.S. Postal Service has 400 mail processing centers, 50 percent more capacity than justified by the amount of first-class mail it now deals with. A nationwide network of tired and deteriorating post offices is likely to be slashed. This is from a big feature on the apparent uh, imminent demise. Within 20 years, it's predicted that postal services will no longer provide universal delivery service to addresses throughout countries. This is something that's being predicted for England, of course, 20 years. But I could easily see it happening here. And it's sort of sad, I think, that uh, the convenience of immediate uh, digital electronic communication has supplanted the actual artifact. Uh, We all got $5 in the mail from Grandma back in the day Mm -hmm. for your birthday. And, uh, of course, you know, one aspect of postal service, which is still viable today, is the spread of the online businesses where you order books from Amazon and you get things shipped to you. But the letter is apparently a dead letter, and nobody writes letters anymore. And so uh, I'm going to tell people to write letters. Well, write letters. I was actually writing a
2: letter uh, to my parents a couple weeks ago in a pub, and some idiot asked me what I was doing. Yeah. (laughs) I said, well, I'm writing my parents a letter, and they go, what? What? Yeah, like, uh, gee, is it the 1950s or something? I said, well, it's a personal touch. Uh, my mother can read my handwriting, which, uh, if, if I take my time, is, is is pretty legible. And it's, by the way, protected by federal law. Um, we We actually ironically talked about this last week regarding the NSA. Right. And how virtually all emails... Cell phone communications, et cetera. Cell phone communications, et cetera, are going to a big brother uh, computer out in Utah, out in Texas, um, with folks like John Poindexter in charge of these kinds of operations. And the the Postal Service in America is actually one of the great um, accomplishments of the United States of America. It was uh, developed by Benjamin Franklin, mm-hmm. interestingly, uh one of our great founding fathers. Always uh, recommend, by the way, the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. Oh, that's an an important book in American letters for sure. If you want to read something. And there's also something personal about letters, you know, the love letter. What's
1: wrong with that? Well, it's an actual artifact of the person with whom you've communicated. uh, Emails are not the sort of thing that will hold the same uh, sentimental value or You know, even documentary importance of famous writers and so forth, letters that they've sent back and forth to friends, you know, uh, fellow writers, Um, the extent to which emails will be artifacts is, you know, debatable. It's just easily deleted and forgotten.
2: And I think it's fascinating, by the way, to, to sometimes analyze like a, a writer like Charles Dickens, you know, to or Mark Twain, to actually read a manuscript that they wrote to show how they made corrections with their right. pen in hand and have marginalia and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there's something about the world at the moment that is obsessed with time. And people are very confused about this. This is I'm going to make a philosophical point here. But. Time is constant. Every second is the same here as it is in Afghanistan, as it is in Korea, and no one has more time than anyone else. But we're obsessed with time because our life is cluttered with a mess of nonsense and distractions. I was actually uh, hearing a critic recently, and I, I don't recall the author's name, but he's got a book that just came out. And I believe he's the new editor of Granta, the uh, Hmm. British sort of literary journal, um, sort of an underground cult uh, phenomena that's that's been around for several decades. And apparently uh, they've just named an American editor Hmm. uh, for the first time. And he has a new book out about the uh, you know basically how emails and are screwing up our lives you know he's pointing out that many office workers are spending half their day dealing with emails ninety percent of them are irrelevant right we have the text messaging phenomenon now that's just exploded in the last couple of years and of course it's interesting that here in the state of michigan they're now contemplating banning texting in automobiles which they should have done a long time ago <laughs> Um, so there is something that, that we, you know, we're confused about these, this issue of time, uh, I believe, and uh, a second is a second is a second.
1: Right, and to follow up on that, you know— To you, paraphrase George Bernard's show, <laughs> you plan for the future, but the past is something that you want to be able to hold on to, something of, and— uh, The immediacy of the electronic communications are lost. There's no replacement for the letter. Yeah. And actual document from one hand to another eye. Um, It's just something that people should get back in the habit of doing. And even if you just generate a letter or two a month, they're probably going to write you back. And, uh, you know, reinvent the... You know, the British Postal Service used to have six deliveries a day. Yeah. Um, And I think even more at one point. So... We do need to communicate a lot, and and it's easy to see why the electronic uh, communications have flourished the way they have, but for personal communications, the privacy, uh, the sentimentality, the nostalgic value, um, the world is in too much of a hurry when really all we want to do at the end of the day and of a happy, productive life is to contemplate the past. To quote uh, Jacques Derrida, memory is another name for the future I am running after.
2: Very well put. And, uh, yeah, if you're a writer, you know, uh, the great writers of the past, it, it's interesting to read their letters. There were m- many novelists that were fantastic letter writers, some of them probably better letter writers than novelists. <laughs>
1: Joyce, a very naughty letter
2: writer. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's ironic that you even brought this up because I just started a book about, uh, a history book about Warren G. Harding. Hmm. And, uh, The naughty letters that he was sending to his uh, mistress, who turned out to be a German spy. (laughs) And uh, this was the infamous uh, mistress that was kept in the closet. Right. uh, Rumor had it while he occupied the White House. So, uh, yeah, write more letters. There's nothing wrong with a personal touch. And uh, I'll just give out a brain damage award to conservative critics that rant and rave about the Postal Service on television. The postal service, for the most part, is fantastic. And yes, there are occasional horror stories where some postal worker in Chicago or Detroit uh, sits on a bag of mail, uh, yeah, turns into ten
1: bags of basically mail, basically yeah. turns,
2: uh, you know, drops his. Uh, well, there's a
1: bad apple everywhere. Yeah. yeah.
2: And uh, oh, gee, what's that famous line from uh, Doctor Strange Love where? George C. Scott goes, well, we can't condemn the whole program because of one screw-up, <laughs> <You're> right? <laughs> in reference to the actions of Jack D.
1: Ripper. Right. Well, you know, so I've got a friend who lives in Alaska, and I can send him a letter, you know, surface mail. Mm-hmm. It'll be air mail, of course, going to Alaska, but regular price. Uh, I can send him small packages for very, very reasonable prices and prices. Yeah. You know, that's half a world away. And they
2: want to talk, you know, the conservatives want to talk about privatizing everything, and they advocate that we privatize the Postal Service. In fact, I think what they need to actually change with respect to the Postal Service, they need to modify the the service a bit, you know, get rid of the Saturday deliveries. We don't need mail uh, on Saturday. Or keep it and get rid of Wednesdays or something, you know, pick a day in the middle of the week. Uh, You know, cut it back a little bit. It's okay. and. For God's sakes, we don't need to have this crazy, um, you know, junk mail uh, phenomena. I mean, if there's been one good thing about the downturn in the economy is there seems to be a lot less junk mail. That's
0: true.
1: There does. And uh, problematically uh, for the the post office, that service of delivering that crap, which most people just take and throw right in the recycle bin if they have one, um, is that that is what's kept the postal service – even close to economically viable, is the delivery of crap.
2: Yeah, and, and unfortunately they pay less less rates yeah. than the first-class letter. And, and uh, sometimes you can send, you know, lesser-class mail. I, I think we still have third-class mail. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Might want to check that out sometime when you're down at the postal uh, office. Uh, there's a big controversy here in Ann Arbor about even closing down the postal uh, post office over on Southview. Right. Uh, which would... Uh, cut us back to, I think, three uh, big uh, postal areas. But I'm always amazed at how long the line is at uh, the federal building where I tend to get my right. stamps. And the, the postal uh, uh, facility out on Stadium is, forget it. I mean, you're going to be in a line out there for 20 minutes. Yep. Uh, I, some of the things the Postal Service does mystify me. I don't understand why they don't have more. Uh, I, I noticed that they switched their vending machines to credit card only. That's a trend uh, like, nationwide for all okay. sorts of. Uh, why don't you have some cash vending machines? Yeah, for, even
1: pop machines take credit cards. You now. know to
2: speed things up. Uh, anyway, <laughs> somebody needs to reform the postal service uh, slightly, but we should uh, continue to send letter. My dad, by the way, is a. Long-time stamp collector. This was a uh, a hobby that that exploded in the 1930s because FDR was a stamp well, collector. That's I a collected
1: good stamps as a lad myself.
2: Little hobby. I learned a lot about geography. And I used to love those weird, triangle stamps from. <laughs>
1: Well, that's Togo the, and the funny thing, yeah, the, th- and the third world countries had the most beautiful stamps. And actually, uh, Mars, uh, my wife and co-host on Robot Pasta, observed a couple of years ago that, wow, America must really be sliding economically because our stamps are starting to look pretty like the third world country yeah. stamps. So The commemorative stamps are, are wonderful. So if you go to the post office, get
2: the commemoratives. You don't need to send those boring stamps. Uh, um, uh, flags or whatever they've got or you know the forever stamp um buy the bob hope stamp the frank sinatra stamp Petty davis
1: I've, I've too bad st- you can't still buy the nixon stamp that's,
2: yeah well they i don't know why they didn't make the
1: nixon elvis stamp <laughs> <laughs> that would have been they could have sold a you know that would have been a big one that would have been a big one um you heard it here first that's how the post office is going to turn it around that stamp right there
2: yes yes Well, over the weekend, uh, this is kind of a a, a developing story that I think I'll... eh, Just because there's so many details about this. But it's interesting that the Scottish government has decided to uh, reinvestigate Pan Am 103. Uh, This is a very interesting development because the Scottish government, um, just for a little background here, was the government that actually tried Megrahi and... um, I don't have time to go into all of this article, but I highly recommend a an article in the twenty-fourth um, of September edition of the London Review of Books by Gareth Pierce, "The Framing of Al-Megrahi," that is a very detailed critique of the trial of Megrahi and the sort of strange um, intersection of politics and strange forensic evidence that was used by the British and American governments to uh, get this so-called conviction. And without going into too many details, uh, Megrahi was actually tried in, uh, I I believe it was in the Netherlands, I think it was Utrecht, yeah, um, which uh, is characterized as a... uh, deliberately built court outside Utrecht created from a mothballed Air Force base under Scott's law. And it's interesting in terms of this article, uh, which is critical of the political aspects of how Libya became the whipping boy uh, after Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. Previously, the American government and uh, British government were pursuing Syria and the PLFP and this – terrorist cell out of uh, in germany um connected to uh
1: or even a rumored hezbollah connection so yeah. yeah at the time the you know revelation that it was a libyan they were pursuing was perplexing
2: perplexing because the the clear country that had a motive was iran this was because on the third of july 1988 the american government shot down a civilian plane in the Persian Gulf when Ronald Reagan was president. Yep. Uh, at the time, we were uh, supporting Saddam Hussein in the uh, so-called Iran-Iraq War. And um, it's this switcheroo that occurred between uh, the, the date of the Pan Am event, which was in late December, mid-December of two, uh, 1988, to the eventual uh, theory that Libya was behind this, and uh, this article goes into some of the questionable evidence that was used, uh, including some of the fishy aspects of the FBI's uh, so-called expert, a uh, fellow named Thomas Thurman, who actually never appeared at the trial. He claimed that his—he found the key evidence, by the way, on the 12th of May, 1989— in which he discovered, and I'm quoting from Gareth uh, Pierce here, um, a remnant of cloth of an electronic fragment, part of a circuit board. The remnant or cloth, part of a shirt collar, was then traced to the Malta shop. It turns out, by the way, that one of the terrorists connected to the German cell was a, was a character named Abu Talb uh, that was connected to this Dal Kimoni um, German terrorist cell, and they were raided uh, in um, 1988 based on uh, intercepts that supposedly U.S. intelligence got, and uh, Ahmad Jabril, the leader of the PLFP general command, had met with government officials in Iran and offered his services. So the rumor at the time, and the case that the uh, American (coughs) and British governments were pursuing was that um, uh, Iran was behind this. Um, It says that on the 11th, or excuse me, on the 9th of November 1988, Interpol circulated warnings about the PLFP, General Command bombs. Uh, This was because they found four of the five bombs, but one bomb was missing. Uh, And it's always been pretty much the standard theory that this missing bomb was the bomb used on Pan Am 1 It was an altitude-sensitive device Mm. that was designed. It had a timer in it, and it was designed to go off at a certain altitude. Probably the original terrorist plot was uh, developed to have the plane actually explode over the ocean. But, alas, it happened in Scotland. didn't quite get out into the uh, northern Atlantic. And uh, this article is... A fairly extensive critique of the switcheroo that the American government made. Uh, George Bush, uh, senior, allegedly went to Margaret Thatcher uh, in early um, in the early part of his term to uh, keep the Lockerbie uh, issue quote low key to avoid prejudicing negotiations with Syrian and Iran-backed groups holding Western hostages in Lebanon. Hmm. Uh, another factor in all of this. So uh, I guess maybe over the next couple of weeks we can develop some of the questionable uh, evidence that uh, was perpetrated uh, by American and British officials, not to be confused with Scottish officials that were actually holding the trial. And uh, it's interesting. I'll just quote another sort of thing that I found rather troubling that indicates that this might have been a frame job. Uh, Gareth... Pierce writes. Um, Dr. Kohler, the UN's observer at the trial in, uh, uh, you know, in uh, Utrecht, recorded that Bolier, who was uh, used as a, uh, um, he was a basically a witness from Switzerland and was the manufacturer, manufacturer of the circuit board involved in the explosive device had been, quote, brusquely interrupted by the presiding judge when he attempted to raise the issue of possible manipulation of timer fragments. Could the Swiss uh, timer board or part of one been planted in such a way that it could have been conveniently discovered? After the trial, new evidence that would have been at the center of an al Magrahi appeal uh, made this suggestion more credible, a Swiss electronics engineer called Ulrich Lumpart, formerly employed by Bolier's firm, stated in an affidavit to Co- uh, Cochler that in uh, 1989 he had stolen a non-operational timing board from MEBO, the manufacturer, and handed it to a person officially investigating the Lockerbie case. Uh, Bolier himself told Cockler that he was offered $4 million if he would connect the timer to Libya. This is the fishy forensics evidence that we can get into, that this article is a, a very uh, am- amazingly detailed in the problems with this case. And it suggests, of course, that there was a cover-up, that this was – that Libya uh, surrendered Megrahi. And by the way, his return was premised on the fact that he dropped the appeal. Right, that's right. And what's interesting about this new development is the Scottish uh, uh, investigative uh, board here, it's called the Scottish Criminal Cases Review Commission, very recently um, noted, um, and I'll quote it from a a letter in the most recent uh, London Review of Books, the 8th of October edition that I just got in the mail today, Said, based on our lengthy investigation, the new evidence we have found and other evidence which was not before the trial court, the applicant, i.e., McGrahy, may have suffered a miscarriage of justice. So the Scottish criminal investigation has now been reopened. And uh, this will be a very interesting story because a lot of American, high American officials, have sullied themselves, so to speak. Uh, making claims about this case in public that appear to be part of kind of a concocted frame job.
1: Well, yeah, uh, the extent to which the Scottish court will be allowed to pursue it um, might even become an interesting question.
2: Well, sure. Because I mean, look, it's already 20 years after the fact, so it's very difficult to investigate these kinds of things so late in the day. And uh, of course, witnesses have died, and are mistaken, but it was this clothing um, shop owner in Malta, of all places, a very interesting place itself, (laughs) and how that's connected to the case is strange beyond belief. But he's the one that originally did not identify Megrahi and then in the court case did, but could have been mistaken. And he originally claimed in the late 80s that it was this Abu Talb, this guy connected to Dalcomoni and the Berlin or the uh, German cell I think it was in Berlin but uh, it might have been Hamburg which is an interesting connection to Mohammed Atta and all that stuff so
1: yeah the extent of the uh, intelligence agencies uh, abilities to get in beyond their uh, capacity to control things i mean the entire attempt to get the Mujahideen up and running in Afghanistan to frustrate the Soviets. That's worked out real well in the long term, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, and uh, certainly more on that in upcoming weeks. It's interesting. I squeezed in a book uh, over the week uh, about uh, the Soviets' involvement, and it's interesting that in 1986 the internal Politburo debates about the war in Afghanistan that Gorbachev uh, realized was a loser and he wanted to get out, in fact, even on drop-off, uh, was opposed originally to the invasion of Afghanistan that Brezhnev initiated. Sounds just like something that would be going on today in America yeah. regarding the mission, the goals, the strategy, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, the Soviets at one point uh, had something like 600,000 troops total uh, that had served in Afghanistan, uh, far more than the Americans. And of course, they they had all kinds of trouble placating the the place because of its warlord uh, uh, village uh, rural culture and and its uh, opposition
1: to outside powers. And, indeed, their bleak winters as well, which uh, won't be uh, too far away in coming, Uh, nor will the uh, runoff elections in Afghanistan November 7th. Uh, So place your bets now on whether it will be... Hamad Karzai or Abdullah Abdullah or Major Major. (laughs) So nice they had to name him twice. The problem with this runoff here is that it happens to fall along, guess what, ethnic lines. Uh, Karzai has largely Pashtun supporters and it is largely Tajiks who uh, support Abdullah Abdullah. Um, Wahid Mojda, a political analyst analyst in Afghanistan, says in uh, Matthew Green's article for the Financial Times of uh, October 22nd, quote, Afghanistan will be divided into two parts, and we go for a second round. Basically, this election is between Pashtuns and Tajiks and will clearly show which of these ethnicities is the most powerful. And this reminds of Bush W.'s, Late in the day claim that the Iraq war was about bringing democracy uh, without realizing that that meant that Shias would win yes uh, who of course have you know been at odds with u s policy for for decades, so i don't know, do we want Pashtuns or Tajiks to run Afghanistan, and what can we do about it really indeed well, uh looks like we'll be going over a little.
2: But, oh, I guess not. I guess we're getting the signal that uh, Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor is over. We would like to thank Andrew for his uh, timely signs and uh, stage directions. We'd be lost without him down here on Gray Matters. But do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling is coming up next right here on this fine station.
0: And thanks to the Gray Matters folks for sorting out all the various shades of gray for us. The listeners right here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. It's time for Yazoo City Calling. Music of the Delta and various areas down south. Acoustic Blues from